May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here. Happy New Year. Good to see you. We'll be singing later. This is uh, Shirley's 92nd birthday. So get those pipes tuned up. Well, this is the first, uh, first Sunday after the Epiphany, and it's the baptism of Jesus, and you'd probably expect a sermon on the baptism, the skies opening, the dove descending, the voice speaking, and all that. But we also had a reading from Acts 10, which is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, so I'm going to talk to you about that today. Um, the big idea is do not be anxious for the unknown. God is already there. Do not be anxious. And it was interesting... Um, I was walking on the beach. Uh-oh. So this is what I got. This is what I got for this year. And the, the noise in the background is surf. Know the truth. Speak the truth. Live the truth. Those who do this are in service to me. Those who do not are in service to the enemy. Be not afraid, be not anxious for the future, for I am with you always. January 1st, 2024, on the beach. Amen. So, that piece about don't be afraid, don't be anxious for the future, I'm already there, kind of ties in with what's going on in this uh, reading from Acts 10. Uh, it's kind of the, the unknown, the unexpected occurs. This is really more of a conversion story for Peter than it is for Cornelius. This is the story of Peter and Cornelius. And just to review Acts 10, Cornelius is a Roman officer. He's the captain in the Italian regiment. He's up in Caesarea. Uh, he has moved away from paganism. Now he's starting to move toward Judaism. He's not there yet. He's praying, and an angel says, send some, uh, some of your guys down to Joppa to get uh, Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner and have him come up here and speak. Peter is down in Joppa. He's uh, getting ready for lunch. He goes up on the roof and he's uh, praying. A sheet drops and on the sheet are reptiles and snakes and vermin and all kinds of things. And the voice says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, oh no, I can't. I've never eaten anything unclean. This happens three times. The sheet goes up. Peter's now like, what the heck was that? And then the voice says, there's three, there's three people down there. They want you to go see this guy, Cornelius, up in Caesarea. Go with them. So he goes down. He invites them in. They spend the night. The next day, they go up to Caesarea. As soon as Peter shows up, uh, Cornelius comes out, falls down, begins to worship Peter. Peter says, no, get up. I'm just a man like you. Uh, Why did you call me? What's up? And he says, well, an angel appeared to me and said to do this, and I did it, and so in he goes, he starts to preach, and the Holy Spirit, and after the Holy Spirit falls, obviously, uh, in an obvious way, Peter says, well, is there any reason that I shouldn't baptize these people with water after what's happened? And that's really the story. So I want to unpack that for us, because we didn't have that full reading today. So Cornelius is a devout man, we're told, with a holy awe 
of God. He has rejected the gods of Rome. He's walked away from the pagan religion of Rome. And this comes with a cost. Um, it's a threat, a potential threat to his family, as he is now worshiping other direction than the state would probably like him to do. Um, but he's willing to risk it. He knows there's a cost to faithfulness. I remember when I walked on the beach back in September of 08, one of the things God said to me was, more people will be unfaithful to me and faithful because being faithful to me will cost too much. And people do count the cost of being faithful to God, and very often they say, too risky, too costly, think I'll just go in another direction. I'll keep my head down, keep my mouth shut, do whatever you want. That's kind of where we are in many places today. Um, so if you're going to fear something, fear God rather than man. It's interesting, Cornelius is a, in a particular category. People who have come from another faith, even paganism, uh, and they start to move toward Judaism. They're not quite there yet. They haven't gone the full route. They haven't been baptized. They haven't been certain, but all that. But they're, they're, they're worshiping Yahweh. They're looking at the festivals and all that. They were called God-fearers. That was their category. That was who they were, God-fearers. And this is who Cornelius is. We also know that he's a generous man. That's the fruit of a good heart, time, talent, treasure, Remember, as I say, there's only two questions on the final exam. What did you do about my son? If you get the right answer, then you get the second question. What did you do with what I gave you in terms of time, talent, treasure? How did you use that? How did you use that? I'm going to show you a video with the announcements that demonstrates that a little bit. But Cornelius was somebody who understood this, and he was a very uh, generous man. People at Christ the King are very generous people. You are good stewards of your time and your talent and your treasure. If I, and I'm not going to, but if I asked everyone who was involved in something other than coming to church on Sunday morning in this place, whether it's a Bible study, I don't care what it would be, please stand up. I don't think there'd be a lot of people sitting because you guys, you get it. Your time, your talent, your treasure. 2023, we became debt-free as a church. It was wonderful. And thank you so much for that. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of prayer because he wanted a relationship with God. Um, he wanted to know God. And one of the ways you know someone is by spending time with them. Somebody said love is spelled T-I-M-E in many ways. Time. And how much time do I spend with him? A little bit more on that later. We look at Acts 10 as a picture of revival. We see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the people being saved, and new doors are opening. We see this um, happening around the world. Shake the Nations, our daughter's ministry that she's with, are going to El Salvador later this month. But they've been going to Nicaragua and El Salvador and Honduras and all different places down in Central America. They just got back from Buenos Aires last month. But when they go, literally tens of thousands of people are coming. And it's, it's wonderful. And I think underneath this veneer of um, indifference in our country, there's something there. I remember speaking to you once about that football player that, that 
had a heart attack on the field. And they brought him back. Remember that? And everybody in that stadium was in prayer. And I even played for you a clip of an ESPN uh, broadcaster. And he was, doing the, he was doing the sports news. And he came to that story. And he said, I don't care. I'm praying. And he just prayed right there on the air during his spot. And the other, the guy next to him was like this. And there was something that happened in our country that something under the surface kind of bubbled up, you know? And then you see what happened at Asbury that went on and on and on. And I'm hopeful that that kind of thing is gonna continue as well. Because I do believe that America is now in a desperate need of revival today, right now. Christians with a biblical worldview are becoming an anomaly in an increasingly secularized culture. I saw a statistic the other day. You may think this is crazy because you're kind of in this group. They say that uh, the Christians, Americans with a biblical worldview is now down to about 6%. It's below 10%. Where the Bible is authoritative for our lives. The Bible is the truth. The Bible is the word of God. And this is, this is where we learn how to live, how to move, and how to have our being. This is where we take our cues. This is how we know the truth about various things that the world is denying. I'm going to get into it, but you know what I mean. Our only hope lies in God, not in man. And so in Acts 10, this revival has some certain elements to it. First, it's initiated by prayer. Cornelius and Peter both pray. And I might ask, how is your prayer life? What does your prayer life look like? When you get up in the morning, do you spend time with God? During the day, are you aware of his presence? You don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to be in church. You don't have to have your eyes closed and your head bowed and your hand folded. You can be driving. You can be walking. You can just be yourself. In the evening, what does that look like before you turn in? Do you have a time with God? Monday at, at 6.30, we have a group that meets here. We circle up some... Ch 6 o'clock, sorry, 6 o'clock. Time change. And uh, we have a little opening prayer, and people either stay in the circle, they, they kind of go and sit in the church. I like to get out and walk around. We come back about quarter to 7, and we see what, what has God said. And it's been a very helpful... Uh, ministry to me personally. I really, really look forward to it. I encourage you to give it a try if you've never tried it. Second thing is required openness to the Holy Spirit. Both Peter and Cornelius both were obedient to the Spirit. Cornelius sends his men to Joppa. Peter invites the visitors into Simon's house and then goes to Cornelius's home and goes inside. You've got to realize how radical this was. Who were the Gentiles in the eyes of the Jews? They were fuel for the fires of hell. That's who the Gentiles were. They were dogs. You did not enter a home of a Gentile. You did not eat in the home of a Gentile. You had nothing to do with them. And here Peter is. Well, in fact, in Acts chapter 11, now it says that Peter took some of his friends with him when he went up to Caesarea. Well, some of his friends also went to Jerusalem and said, you know, Peter was up in Caesarea and he broke all the rules. He's talking to these people. He went inside their house. He ate with them. He's, pray, he's baptizing them for crying out loud. 
And they called Peter and he had to give account for what he did. And when he said what happened, they were all in. But he broke all these rules. It was a new day. God was doing a new thing, a very unexpected thing. 1,500 years of tradition out the window. If you want to quench the Holy Spirit, you say, hey, we've never done it that way before. Or that's not how we do it here. Maybe God wants to do something different. Well, maybe he's got something new for us in 2024. I don't know. But are we open to it? Are we praying for it? Will we know it when we receive it? The third thing is an attitude of expectation. Cornelius is expectant when Peter arrives <clears throat> here at Christ the King. You know, I always say, hopefully, the attitude for people when they come into the church on a Sunday, is there any word from the Lord for me today? What do I expect when I come here on a Sunday morning, when I have an encounter with God? You know, I think of, always think of Acts 2.42, and they came together for the apostles' teaching, that this is, hopefully, the breaking of the bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. So what is it I expect to happen when I come? Do I expect to have an encounter with God through his Holy Spirit that will be something new? I'll have a new insight. Maybe something will change. I'll have a new idea. I'll be motivated in a different direction than I was when I came. That's, that's the hope. That's the expectant. And then Peter begins to preach Jesus. It's always Jesus. In the book of Acts, when you hear a sermon, it's always about Jesus. Too often today in many places, they don't preach Jesus. They, they want to be relevant. And so they preach more about self than they do about Jesus. But Jesus is the focus here, not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the result of preaching Jesus. Remember, Cornelius is not yet saved. He's a good man, but he's not saved. And Peter exalts Jesus in a very brief sermon. Let me tell you what he said. We've got this going. Peter said, you know the which he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace by Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. The word which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with, and with power, how he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses to all that he did, both in the country uh, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him manifest, not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of his sins through his name. That's what, they, that's what they were hearing at that point. So Jesus is the bridge of peace. God makes peace with his creation through Jesus. Jesus reconciles us to the Father, and we're reconciled to the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is Lord of all. He's not just Lord of the Jews. 
He's not just Lord of the Gentiles, but to all. And he's anointed with the spirit and power. He's stronger than sin and the devil. He rescues people who are oppressed by the devil. The modern definition of oppression goes like this. To weigh down, to put down, to subdue or suppress, to press upon or against, crush, to cause to sink. Mm. Are we being weighed down today in various ways? Maybe by politics. Is there something happening in 2024? Oh yeah, there's an election coming up. How do we approach that? How do we look at that? Are we weighed down? Are we sinking? Are we nervous? Pray. Pray for changed hearts. How about the national crisis and disunity that we see within our country? There is no civil discourse anymore. We can't seem to talk to somebody who might be on the other side of an issue. That disunity is destructive to our national character and unity. Maybe it's the economy. Maybe you notice it when you go to the grocery store or you go out to eat and it costs you twice as much for dinner as it used to in the same restaurant. Maybe you drive a more purposely because gas costs what it does. Maybe you don't drive as much or as far as often. These sorts of things are kind of new that have come in on us. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's family issues that are causing disruption. Some of you are going through that right now. I would say roughly half the students over here at, at Grace Christian School come from a broken home. That's not unusual. That's not unusual these days. I've told you that at Fort King Middle, the woman, the teacher, had three sections of each with 20 kids. And she asked, how many of you are living at home with your birth mother and father? In each of the sections of 20 kids, one child raised their hand. One. Either living with a single parent a step-parent, a grandparent, or some other combination. One child in each section of 20 was living with the birth mother and father. That wasn't the way it was when it just didn't happen that way. But it's that way today, and we need God more than ever. Maybe it's health, maybe it's finances, whatever it might be. Jesus can set us free. He's stronger than all these things that want to pull us away from God. And it's easy to get caught up, I think, um, in the uncertainty of life. And I have that uh, squared, the weapons of the enemy that he uses to get to us, and that's doubt and discouragement in the face of all these things that are sort of coming at us. Doubt and discouragement. Don't give in to it. Don't give in to it. God is stronger than anything that's coming at us today. He really is. Jesus was raised from the dead. Resurrection is at the heart of Christianity. No resurrection, no faith. Paul said, if the resurrection isn't true, we're to be pitied more than all people. But because of the resurrection, we can face these things that are coming at us with power and strength and success. Jesus will be the final judge of all people. We'll all stand before him one day. He's the source of God's forgiveness for our sins. So, to recap, this event, this revival happens. It's initiated by prayer. There's an openness to the Holy Spirit. 
The people were expectant, and it focused on Jesus. The Holy Spirit falls during the sermon, followed by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, followed by the water baptism. Note the sequence. Sermon, Holy Spirit falls, Spirit-filled, water baptism. That seems to be a little out of order, out of whack. Don't put God in a box. God can do what God wants to do. So we need to be in prayer, open to the Holy Spirit, expectant and focused on Christ. We need to be open to new things in 2024. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure what that means, but I think we need to be expectant. Hello. There we go. God has not given up on his church. He is the faithful one, and we need him now more than ever. We need him now more than ever.
now more than ever. Amen.